Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Bible says that this is the day that the Lord has made, so we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. So put a smile on your face. I don't know about you, but I just feel like uh, something happens. Like when we were declaring the goodness of God a few moments ago, the, the great I am, how many know that was powerful? No matter what you're facing tonight, uh, no matter what you're facing in your life, you just, you just put that up against the great I am and you're good. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so there's something awesome about gathering together and uh, being together, worshiping together. Uh, aren't you just thankful also for our incredible worship team? Pastor John, the entire team, just every single service, uh, just uh, leading us to Jesus. And I love that we get the chance to open up the word of God as well. So uh, I wanna ask you to do something tonight. If you're not normally a note taker, I wanna challenge you to take notes tonight. And uh, especially if you've never done it in this way, uh, this is kind of a cool thing. And I wanna make an announcement about this, but our Faith Assembly app uh, is so simple, user-friendly. Uh, why don't you just go to the, the Faith Assembly app. You can click on that. It'll open up at the very bottom. You just scroll down and you'll see sermon notes. And all the main texts that I'm gonna read tonight and some of the main points, it's, it's already there. So, you know, you're following along. You don't have to be distracted by saying, what did he say? That was so good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so what did he say? I, want, I wanted to jot that down. That's already there. And maybe God will speak something to you. You can just add that to your notes. And then what's really cool about this is it automatically archives. So then when you reference it later, you go back and you open that sermon. It, it's, it's all right there. So maybe you've, uh, you didn't know that or uh, you, you haven't really got in, gotten into taking notes. Uh, you can consider that because it's a good thing. Um, and we are going to continue this series on Second uh, Peter. And uh, if you were here several weeks ago, probably, what, five weeks ago now or something like that, four weeks ago, uh, Pastor Carl started the, the first week. And if you remember, he had the table up here. And he said, you start with uh, your faith and then you add to your faith knowledge and then you build self-control and perseverance and godliness, and it all stacked up on, on one another. That was all from 2 Peter chapter 1. And then uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Marcos continued that message, uh, seven warnings and one powerful promise. I was taking notes. Uh, I wish I would have known about the app then because I was writing a lot of things that were already in the app. But anyways, uh, and great message. So you can get caught up uh, if, if you missed any of those weeks because tonight, I'm going to continue uh, part three, and really it's, it's discussing chapter three. And Peter begins to talk about something that, that I love. Um, he starts talking about the end times. And he starts to talk about what he calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And so we'll get into that in, in just a moment. But the, uh, the title of my message tonight is three words uh, three powerful words. Here they are. Ready? Jesus is coming. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Jesus is coming. And uh, maybe we don't talk about it enough in church, the fact that he is coming back. But Jesus, uh, he's the central figure 
in all end time events, like not the devil. Some people focus on the devil, but we focus on Jesus. Jesus is, that's the second word, meaning like it's gonna happen. We can know that with certainty that he's coming back and it's, a, it's just a good thing to be reminded. And, and uh, Peter reminds us of that. So Jesus is, he's coming. And he's coming for his church. He's coming for his bride and we're gonna be united with him. And we believe that he's coming soon. Again, somebody just say amen to that tonight. And so we're gonna pray that God would bless this message tonight. And as we do, I also want to uh, just kind of continue what Pastor John was praying for just a few moments ago. Uh, we're, we're believing and we are already in a season of overload here at this church. I don't know if you sense it, but God is up to something and we give him all the, the praise and all the glory for it, all the credit. But uh, it's so fun to see full services, full parking lots. Um, I just... Um, I uh, texted somebody from the youth uh, ministry and I said, how many uh, first time guests did you guys have the other night? You remember when we were praying during that prayer night, we prayed for the, the, the youth during that service. They were doing an evangelistic, kind of casting the net, believing for overload. Uh, they had 221 first time guests that showed up in a middle school service and a high school service. That's awesome. And I think that night, the voice, the college age service had about the same. And so uh, all of their, their services added up just in one week was almost 1,500, just over 1,500 students and young people, young adults. And so that's amazing. We're seeing incredible things happen and I'm so excited. I know you sense it. We're hearing reports of amazing things happening in the kids ministry, uh, in all of our classes, journey of faith, uh, starting point, like it is exciting. Uh, it's an exciting time to be here at this church and, and, and we get to be a part of it. But I wanna continue to pray for the harvest because we've just begun, right? And we're gonna believe that. And so we're just gonna take a moment as we pray for this message tonight, also lift up. Uh, the harvest that we believe is yet to come. So would you pray with me right now? Let's pray. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you that you spoke through uh, Peter and we're gonna uh, open up this text in chapter three and be reminded of some great truths that are gonna lift us up and encourage us. And I pray, God, that you would open up every heart. God, that you would open up every uh, mind tonight and that we would grow, we would be stretched in our faith and God, we just yield to you. And God, we take a moment right now and we pray for the harvest. God, we thank you that we're in a season of overload. We thank you, God, that you are up to something incredible. And God, you're using this church. You're using the people in this church, the people that are even, even gathered here tonight to go out and to be a beacon of light to this city. And I pray, God, that you would continue to help us to link arms and, and to cast that net. And God, there would be an incredible catch all for your glory, because we want to see the kingdom of heaven uh, expand, and we want to see the kingdom of heaven advance. And so we just thank you for that. In the mighty name of Jesus, say amen. 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 Well, Pastor Johnny will be here next week. He's going to start a new series. He's away at a missions meeting uh, tonight, but uh, it's going to be good. So be here next week as well. Um, but I've been I'm, I said I was excited about preaching this message tonight because it talks a lot about uh, the end times and, and really what the study of the end times is called 
sounds like a fancy word is eschatology. How many of you have heard that word before eschatology? Okay, if you haven't, then go and brag to your kids tonight and be like, you know, in, in uh, Main Sanctuary, we talked about uh, eschatology and the study of the end times. What did you do? You know, just show off a little bit. Um, but I've always been kind of intrigued by what's gonna happen uh, at the end. What's gonna happen in the future? And the, vi- the Bible isn't uh, really very vague about it. There's some specifics that we know um, through, through the text that th- things are gonna happen. Um, and so... I remember being interested in this all the way back from when I was like in the eighth grade, but the Bible talks a lot about it. Um, For example, for every one verse that speaks about the first coming of Christ, what is the first coming of Christ? Well, that's like when we celebrate Christmas, right? So he came in the manger, all that stuff, right? That's Jesus coming the first time. That's the first coming. For every uh, one verse that talks about the first coming, listen to this. There are eight that speak about his second coming. So the Bible gives us a lot of cues, a lot of hints toward what is going to take place in the future. And my first exposure that I can remember, I was was thinking about this uh, earlier this week to uh, the rapture and what's going to happen in the future uh, was this. My uncle, he was a missionary. Uh, He's since uh, been to be with the Lord, but he was an awesome guy, got radically saved. um, And he was kind of like into all the the, the hippie music and all the, the late uh, 70s, or I guess it was the late 60s, maybe early 70s, and he was in uh, to all this, get, gets saved, and then he kind of like is almost a part of the, the Jesus movement, where all, some of the hippies were getting radically saved, and then they liked the music, so then they would write crazy songs. Anyways, he, he gave me a cassette tape, shows my age, um, but anyways, some of you had eight tracks, so don't judge me, or records. Any record people? All right. Those are still popular, but whatever. So he gives me this like mixtape, this cassette tape, and it had Larry Norman on it. And here's a picture of this guy. They'll they'll show you, but he's a guitar player, has long hair, and he kind of has this folky sound to him. And uh, it was like this. Does anybody know who Larry Norman is? Any of you old school people? All right. So my uncle gives me this tape, and here I am in like fifth grade. And I'm, listen, I'm in my room and I'm listening to this guy sing this song. And it kind of has an eerie melody. Um, I was going to have Pastor John come and sing it, but I'm not going to do that. But anyways, um, so here's, here's the lyrics, okay? Imagine fifth grade Matt in his room trying to learn about what the future of the world is going to be. Here it is. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the the days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all, so here I am, I'm like, this is not good bedtime stuff, you know? (laughs) Um, Then it says, there's no time to change your mind. The sun is coming, you've been left behind. Good night, sweet dreams. (laughs) And so some some of these verses, though, I just, it's like ingrained in my mind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. And so it's kind of like frightening in some senses, especially if you don't understand the full context. But it intrigued me as well at the same time. And, um, and I will just say this. Thank God that he rescues us from the judgment. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But uh, he rescues us. And, and, you know, we're part of the, assembly, the assemblies of God, and we have uh, what's called the, the 16 fundamental truths. 
And if you've studied doctrine at all, you'll know that, that we adhere to the 16 fundamental truths. It's not like an exhaustive list of, of doctrine, but it's 16 fundamentals that we you know, adhere to and subscribe to. And I was, I was just looking it up just for fun. And the, out of the 16 fundamental truths, the last four have to do with end time doctrine. Listen to what it is. It's number 13, the blessed hope. What is that? It's the rapture. I love how it's the blessed hope. That's the hope that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. Then the millennial reign of Christ. If you're saying, I don't know what that is, we're going to get to it in just a moment. Um, the final judgment. That's where we all stand before the Lord. And then the new heavens and the new earth. Those are the four that, uh, that are covered in the 16 fundamental truths. And so um, let me just recap, and, and um, the other pastors mentioned this, but the apostle Peter was imprisoned in Rome and realized that he would soon be executed. Uh, he wrote to the Christian churches in Asia Minor, warning them and giving them instructions. And again, so in chapter 3, he begins to talk about the certainty of Christ's return. Jesus is coming back is what he's, what he's meaning. He was an eyewitness of Christ, and so he writes these words. And kind of the first thought that I want to talk about, the first idea that Peter addresses is this, the denial of his return. So in verse uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, talking about the day of the Lord. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders, and I like this, to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So there's a lot of people that were thinking wrong, especially if they're denying the fact that Jesus is returning. So he said, I'm, I'm trying to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Then verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and, command, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. How many know that's true? They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on and on as it has since the beginning of creation. Let me just kind of stop there and we'll pick up uh, with, the, with the verses a little bit later. He's saying false teachers will come. And they'll say things like this, that, well, just... You know, because Jesus hasn't returned yet, I'm going to come to the conclusion that he's not coming at all, which is kind of foolish if you think about it. It's like saying, I haven't experienced death yet, so I guess I'll never die. The logic just falls all apart when, when you look at it that way. And so, uh, so Peter's trying to remind us and say, listen, you know, yes, generations have come. Generations have gone, but that's wrong thinking. That's not wholesome thinking. And he's trying to, to point the people back to uh, right thinking. So a scoffer, what's that? That's a person who mocks or makes fun of someone or something, especially as it has to do with religion or, or moral values. And unfortunately, there have, been, uh, there have been pastors and teachers that have almost validated the skeptics. I, I was looking this up back in 1988. There was a book entitled this. 88 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 1988. I got news for you. It didn't happen. You weren't left behind, so everybody relax, okay? Didn't happen, right? So then people say, yeah, exactly. See, Jesus didn't come back. Just like I was saying all along, he hasn't come back. And that's scoffing. You're mocking that. And so um, I don't know if you remember this one. May 21st, more recent, 2011. Uh, we have a picture of this, a billboard that was on the side of the road. Judgment Day, May 21st. Uh, cry mighty unto God. 
And I remember seeing this on the side of the road and I thought, like I'm a, I'm a, I was a pastor at the time and I'm like, I didn't know that. You know, like I guess I missed, I guess I missed the memo. And, and even though I knew like what the Bible says about that, there was part of me that was like, what are they, what are they, what are they talking about? You know, there's another one, uh, December 21st of 2012, is relating to the Mayan calendar, was linking up. It's going to be the end of the world. And, and so, uh, you know, when that date comes and when that date goes, there's a lot of people that just sit back and say, because Jesus hasn't come yet, that means he's not coming at all. And, um, and, and, it's, and it's really wrong to uh, try to set the date of Jesus' return. So there might be somebody that's up saying, Jesus is going to return during the year of Jubilee. I know it. God told me that this is what's going to happen. You can know that's not true, and I'm going to read a scripture in just a moment. I mean, it may happen, but it's not because that person said it. Uh, Jesus is going to return during the next blood red moon. Okay, when you hear stuff like that where somebody's claiming a specific date, you'll know that that doesn't really line up with scripture because Jesus told his disciples in reply to their question about the timing of future things, he said this, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So our job is just to be ready. Our job is just to be expecting his return, but not to try to call out dates. That's what Peter's saying. So when a public figure announces an end time date with the same authority that he or she, uh, you know, addresses scripture, you lose credibility, don't you? Um, you know, I think, it's, I think it's accurate to say, I believe Jesus may return in our lifetime because I do believe that, but I'm not gonna preach it as doctrine because what happens if I live my life and I pass away and people heard me and trusted me and they say, well, Jesus hasn't returned yet, so I guess Pastor Matt, you know, he was teaching false doctrine, which, you know, I think it's accurate to say, I believe, it, it leaves room for error. It leaves room for, uh, you know, people to, to, to not hang their hat on this specific doctrine. You know, I've, I have a pastor that I had growing up, and he would say, I believe that Jesus is gonna come back in, in my lifetime, and he believed it with conviction, but he said it in a way that was like, but even if he doesn't, you know what, I'm gonna be ready to meet him. And that's what's important. So uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, the, the subtitle of this is, no one knows that day and hour. It says, but concerning that day and hour, talking about the return of Christ. And by the way, just, just so you know, in the Old Testament, a lot of times they don't distinguish between the rapture and the second coming or the other end time events, and it can be really tricky to decipher. Well, what is this text, this specific text actually talking about? But we'll get to that. It says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. So if you hear somebody saying, I know for sure God told me, you'll know that's, that's an error because of this scripture right here. It's really pretty simple. So verse three, uh, Peter says this, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. I've heard a lot of people say, especially students uh, back in the day, they're like, I have intellectual problems with believing in, in the rapture. I'm like, dude, I know you, you're not intellectual. You know, <laughs> like, I hate to break it to you, but like you don't put a lot of thought into your theology. So, or I have, I have some intellectual problems with uh, you know, the Bible being real, or I have some intellectual problems. And really, so many times people use that as an excuse, and this is what Peter's pointing out. 
He's saying that scoffers will come. They'll say that they have problems with this, but it's all because they want to follow their own evil desire. They'll use a lot of different things to, as, as an excuse, but really it's, it has to do with the human will. Like, are we willing to yield to the word? Because once you actually open up and look at the evidence that is in the word of God, it's pretty telling. Um, and so let's, let's look at it intellectually or try to. The Bible is a prophetic book. What that means is uh, throughout the Bible, there are prophecies presented. And guess what happens? The prophecies are presented. It's foretold, like something's going to happen. And then it actually is fulfilled. And not only does it happen like one time, it happens over and over and over again. So let me just uh, run through several of these, okay? The birth of Jesus. We talked about that just a moment ago. The birth of Jesus was foretold by the prophet Micah, Listen to this, approximately 700 years before the event. That's awesome. This is way before Jesus. Um, the triumphal entry, you know, when Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem, it was foretold by Zechariah 500 years before Christ was even born. The suffering at Jesus' crucifixion was foretold 1,000 years prior Christ's suffering and ministry were foretold by Isaiah 700 years before the earthly life of Christ. It's crazy how many uh, hundreds of years, and in some cases, a thousand years, before the event actually took place, it was written long, long ago. And guess what? It happened exactly like it was foretold. We have a guy come in by the name of Frank Turek, who's a, who's a Christian apologist. And what he does is he uh, teaches students and congregations to defend their faith. Why do you believe what you believe. And so it kind of makes you ask, makes your, uh, ask yourself these questions of like, well, why do I believe this? I mean, I know I believe it, but, but why? And it causes you to think a little bit. And he's going to be here at one of our services, and I'm so excited about this. But one of his teachings is this. I don't have faith enough to be an atheist. Because once you look at all the, the scriptures and all the evidence and all of the, the prophecy that's fulfilled, it's like, man, that builds my faith. I know more and more now, the deeper that I study, that Jesus is the real thing, right? Like this isn't some made up book. So I don't even have enough faith to be an atheist. That takes more faith to do that than it does to be a believer. And so I'm excited about that coming up. But these prophecies were not only fulfilled, they were specific. So... Um, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It happened just like it was foretold. He would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, it happened. Uh, he would be anointed with God's spirit for preaching the gospel. Of course, you know that happened. He would carry our diseases and sorrows in a healing ministry. That happened. By his stripes we are healed. Uh, he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more and how that's significant. And it happened just like it was foretold. Uh, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. And so if we're looking at this intellectually, or we're saying, where does all the evidence point us? It's really to the fact that it validates Scripture. It doesn't discredit it. It actually validates Scripture. And so a team of researchers led by a mathematics professor did a study. And uh, they were trying to figure out, like, what are the chances, what are the odds of eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person? Okay, now I'm not a mathematician, but this is what it says, so I'm just going to believe it, okay? Uh, the result was this. One in a hundred quadrillion. I can't even say it. Quadrillion. So you take the number 100, 
And then you put 15 zeros after it, and, and that's the chances of, one, of uh, eight prophecies being fulfilled in one person. And check this out. Jesus, the center of all biblical prophecy, fulfilled more than 110 Old Testament prophecies. That's crazy. Andy Stanley put it this way. He said, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'll just go with whatever that man says because no one else can do that. Somebody say amen. And so Jesus says, you know, I'm coming the first time, and guess what? Everything was fulfilled just as Jesus said. Every, every detail, born of a virgin, riding into the city on a donkey, having a healing ministry. And those were just a few. I didn't want to bore you with like, you know, 25 of them, but they're there. And yet he says, not only am I coming the first time, I'm coming again a second time. And prophecy tells us with specific, uh, specificity that it's going to happen. Scoffers will say, because Jesus hasn't returned yet, that must mean that he isn't going to return. But believers say this, Jesus came the first time just like it was foretold. And he will come again just like it was foretold. Can we just put our hands together and thank God for that? So good. So let's, uh, let's move over to this second idea that Peter addresses. And it starts in verse 5, but it's this, the assurance of his return. He says this, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Go back in Genesis. You can read that account. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the flood. Uh, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Talking about what's coming up now. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, excuse me, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So we might say, man, out of the, the 40 years that I've been alive, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Or out of the 70 years that I've been on this earth, Jesus hasn't. And so we're, we're taking this small sliver of time when you take a look at the hundreds of years and the thousands of years, and then you bump that against eternity, and who are we to say that Jesus isn't coming back yet, right? Like, it's going to happen. And so that's what, Jesus, that's what uh, Peter was saying here. Don't forget this thing. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So you can't measure time like, like the world measures time. Like, God is God, and he's going to be God. And um, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Isn't that awesome? So we can, we can view it like this. The, for every day that Jesus doesn't return, that's another opportunity for someone to come into this net that we're talking about. That's another opportunity for somebody to come and kneel at these altars, broken, hurting, and just give their life to Christ so that their name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. So God has this, this patience with us, and he's saying he doesn't want anyone to perish. That's the nature of God. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. And here he says this, the day of the Lord will come though. And when it comes, it will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And I believe that every promise God gave in his word, church, is worthy to be believed. For it's going to happen just like he said it's going to happen. 
So when he promised to save you, if you call upon him, he meant that. That's a good place to say amen. When he promised to be with you, he meant that too. When he promised to take care of you as you pass through this world and you have struggles and you have needs, he meant that. And as Peter is telling us here, when the Lord promised that he was coming back again, he meant that as well. And the last recorded promise in the Bible is uh, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, he says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, this is Jesus. Like you open up your Bible, if it has the red letters there, which the red letters mean that's Jesus' words himself, it'll say, it'll be red because Jesus is, is saying this. He says, yes, I am coming soon. And it's exciting. So he makes it clear. So then if you think about this, guys, if you would put up this survey that was, uh, somebody sent this to me, Pastor David sent this to me, and it's, it's from like 2015, so it's a little out of date, but um, this is pretty crazy. This is how Americans think the apocalypse the apocalypse will go down. What is the apocalypse? Think of the end of the world, okay? So the question was this. What do you think will be the most likely cause of the apocalypse? It looks like a 1,000 people were sampled of adults. Number one answer, 28% nuclear war. Uh, 20% say they don't think there will be an apocalypse. Depending on how you define apocalypse, you know that that's true because Jesus is coming, everything's going to be changed, whatever. Okay. Uh, climate change, 16%. Judgment day, there we go, 16%. Worldwide revolution. Uh, something else, uh, 8%. Can you believe it? Zombies. People watching The Walking Dead or whatever that show is called, okay? 2%. Zombies. Alien invasion. One percent. Um, so if we know with clarity and with certainty what Jesus says, if a survey like this or a question like this was asked to you because you attend and you're involved here at Faith Assembly, you, you will know what's coming up because the Bible tells us. And how many of you know the, the Bible's the truth? So we can, we can know with certainty, okay? And so um, what does it mean that Jesus is coming back? And I've been talking about the rapture. And maybe you're here and you have no clue what the rapture is. That's okay. I've been using words like the second coming. Well, what does that mean? And you may not know. Well, we're going we're gonna to break it down. And so I've, I'm a visual learner. How many visual learners do we have in here? Okay, some of you guys. Okay, in my office, I have a big dry erase board. Anytime anybody's talking, I'm like, hold that thought. I just have to see it in front of me, okay? That's just the way my brain is wired. So I'm gonna show you this graphic that has some of these different events in a timeline because I'm visual, and hopefully this visual will help you, okay? Um, so we're right now in this period called today on this, on this timeline. The first event that I wanna talk about tonight that really Peter uh, addresses is the rapture. Now this is different than the second coming. Uh, it's, it's kind of included in the second coming depending on how you look at it. But the rapture of the church is not Jesus coming and stepping his foot on the earth. This is where the church is raptured up. Okay, so we're, we're caught up with the Lord in the clouds and we're, that, that word actually means to snatch or to be caught up. So that's what the rapture is. And that's kind of what that song was talking about where just in one moment the, the, the man is there and then he's not and uh, I was freaked out as the fifth grader, okay? That was all about the rapture. So here's where we get that 
um, that teaching. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Isn't that good news? That's that blessed hope that we're talking about. So, you know, the Lord himself will descend, not all the way to the earth, but he descends and uh, uh, with, with a shout, the, vo- the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God sounds, the dead in Christ go first. Then everybody who's still alive that's a believer, that's a Christ follower, is raptured up as well. And then we meet the Lord in the air, and we know that at that point we're forever with the Lord. We know our, our eternal uh, destiny at that point because we're with the Lord. And that's where you start to think about it. What, it, what this really means is people disappearing and raptured away and empty coffins. and I mean, just crazy when you really think about uh, all that that entails, but it's called the rapture. First um, Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this. Uh, he says, calls it a mystery that Christians shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Like it happens that quick. And... Uh, I don't have time to get into what our bodies will be like, glorified bodies, much like Christ after he resurrected, but we don't have time for that, okay? Um, and I don't know about you, but there have been moments where when I was younger, there were moments when I came home and I thought I was left behind for sure. Anybody raised in church, maybe you watched that Left Behind movie and it was fresh in your mind. You're like, Mom, Dad, where are you? You know, you thought they were going to be home and you're like, I mean, I'm living right. Okay, I'm good. I think it's so, uh, but, but we know that it's gonna be an event, man. And with all, everybody has phones now and it just, you think about what that's gonna be like and it's just, it's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, I had a student come up to me one time and uh, he was like, I was talking about the rapture and how just, you know, maybe there'd be clothes left behind or wedding rings and stuff like that, watches. And they're like, really? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, Pastor Matt, I'm going to do this to, to my sister to scare her. So put this picture up here if you would. Uh, and I was like, you better not do that. And I said, but if you do, I want to hear all about it. Because you know I mean? that's, that's kind of a genius idea. Anyways, all right, moving on. So what happens when the church is raptured up? We go back to this kind of timeline. The, the church is raptured up. This is the bride of Christ. And so uh, the Christians, the church, experiences the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. And that's where, you know, when the Bible says that we're, we're given uh, gifts and we're rewarded for all that we've done, that's, that's a good judgment. Don't think of that as like a bad judgment because our sins have already been forgiven. And just like if you remember Pastor Johnny's sermon of, of the room and all those file cabinets, right? And then Jesus signed his name over everything we've done wrong. So as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, we're not held accountable for that sin anymore. But we are given rewards in heaven. And that happens at the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. Uh, the scripture there is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. All right. And then also, this is, this is one of my favorite parts too, is that we get to have the, uh, a marriage supper of the lamb or uh, a, a wedding supper of the lamb because I like to eat. Does anybody like to eat? And I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit told me that 
There's going to be chicken wings there and ribs and all kinds of good stuff. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, I haven't studied that in depth about this, but it's going to be awesome. So we're, that's where the bride of Christ is united with the bridegroom, right? We're united with him and we have that fellowship with him. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing in heaven. But what happens to those that are left behind? And so if you go back up here on this timeline and you take a look at it, yet the, 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 the bride of Christ is with him and we're being rewarded and we're eating, having this awesome time. But there's a great tribulation that's going to happen once the rapture takes place. And it's called the seven-year tribulation. And the last half of that is called the great tribulation. And uh, there's a series of, of judgments that are poured out. And it's the wrath of God. You know, we all have this picture of Jesus and God now because we live in a season of grace. Where he says, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Or, or the woman who was uh, caught in the act of adultery, he says, no, you know, like it's, Go and sin no more. Like who, all of you are with sin as well. So who are you to judge, right? And so it's, it's grace, it's mercy, it's second chances. But, but once you get to the, the wrath side of God or the, the judgment side of God, it's, it's different. But it's still a part of who he is. And it's not a reckless rage or this uncontrollable anger like the wrath of God. But what it is, it's a precise and controlled response to his holiness, because God is so holy and he set up this entire thing and orchestrated everything, he cannot tolerate sin or anything that is, is not holy. And so he's given us chances. He's given us opportunities. And those that are left behind will, will experience um, the, the, the tribulation times. Okay, and I don't have time to go into the, how the Antichrist will be revealed at that time. But, um, but it's seven years and it's divided into three segments of judgments, uh, starting with the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bull judgments, and it's all poured out. It, it is, it is, uh, it's all listed in Revelation. If you're interested in stuff like that, you can go and read about it. Um, it's pretty powerful. And then here's the second coming. Coming back in the same place that he ascended, the Mount of Olives, and this is where he actually returns to the earth. And it's fascinating to me how... Uh, not just the fact that Jesus is coming back, but how he returns to this earth, okay? Uh, the first time he was introduced as the Savior, he rode in on a donkey. We read that from Zechariah, right? So he comes in on a donkey, and you might think, well, who cares what kind of animal he was on? But that actually has great significance, and here's why. Because um, when, you, when a king would ride in on a, on a donkey, that meant that he was a king of peace, he was there to save, not bring war, okay? So that scripture is in Matthew chapter 21, verse four. Uh, it says, uh, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. And so that was significant because he's making a statement. I'm coming to, to be a savior. This is the first time he came. But the second time he comes, the Bible says that he's not on a donkey. What is he on? He's on a white horse. He's on a horse. What is the significance of a horse? Well, uh, when, when a king would be riding a horse, that was somebody who was uh, armed for battle. And he was going to lead uh, for, for battle. And so when Jesus comes back a second time, he's going to come back as the victor. He's going to come back as the one who brings justice. He's going to bring judgment. He's, he's going to wage war. 
The Bible says his eyes are like blazing fire. He has many crowns on his head. His robe is dipped in blood. On his robe and thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So when he comes back that time, he means business. And there's going to be a battle. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. And it's not really a battle if you think about it because, like, nobody with Christ is going to lose. It's just more like a, a beatdown, okay? <laughs> the battle of the beatdown, uh, the beatdown of Armageddon, or whatever you want to call it. Because no loss of, of a saint is going to happen. And there's really no weapons that are even mentioned or needed in this time of the battle. The only weapon that is mentioned is the word of the Lord. Wow. He just speaks the word and it brings defeat. Isn't that awesome? And I think about that when I read my, my word in the morning sometimes. I'm like, okay, God, if this, is, if this is good enough to take down all of evil and the enemy, then guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive it like, like that this morning as I read my word. You know what I mean? The word is powerful. All right, I got to move on. Uh, the millennial reign of Christ. And so uh, seven-year tribulation, he comes back to the Mount of Olives. The battle of Armageddon takes place. There's a thousand years where we reign with Christ. Uh, Christ's reign is unchallenged. And then at the end of that uh, is the great white throne uh, judgment. And that's, that's of the wicked. And so let me just quickly uh, go through this. Revelation chapter 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Or you've heard it as the Lamb's book of life, I'm sure. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And um, that's why we all have to be ready. You know, like, if you've noticed here at this church, we don't, we don't focus on the wrath of God and the judgment of God, but it is, it is a very, very real thing. Because when we experience grace, when we experience mercy and salvation, that means that our sins are forgiven and we're not judged for those. So we don't need to focus on the negative and the, 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 the judgment. I mean, that's a part of the full gospel, and that's why we're preaching it tonight. But, but Jesus loves us so much that we don't have to endure the judgment. We don't have to endure all of the, the pain and the suffering. He provided a way out for us, and that's what we obviously focus on. And so that gives you a little bit of an idea of kind of just the, the bird's eye view. I mean, we could, there's some people that spend their entire life talking about all the eschatology and end time events. And you're like, well, thank God you're not covering all that tonight, Pastor Matt. Okay. And I, and I understand that because I do get excited about this stuff. But uh, really the point is this, and this is what Peter uh, kind of addresses at the very end is this living for his return. That's the third idea that Peter addresses. He says, you got to be ready. So then dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you in the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same in all his letters, speaking 
uh, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Verse 17 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. And the final verse of that chapter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Can we just clap our hands and thank God for that word? And as I close tonight, I want to just remind you of a word that is an Aramaic word. Uh, It's Maranatha. Probably heard that before. But its meaning is, is really cool. Um, the early church was persecuted a lot. The early church was under fire. And, uh, and you know, they, they were just starting to really understand what we know as theology because, you know, they heard the words of Christ and it was passed down. And there's, there's writers of, of the books and they're trying to put all this together. But they said a word that is, is Maranatha and it means the Lord is coming. And they would remind themselves with that word. So rather than us like being, hey, what's up? Or hey, goodbye, it was always Maranatha. The Lord is coming. Or our, our Lord comes. It was a constant reminder, always on their lips, always, uh, always in their conversation, always in their greetings, Maranatha, our Lord comes. And I just, man, I just sense in my spirit that there is, like, we need to, I don't really care if you say it, Right? But I want it to be in your heart. The Lord comes. The Lord is coming. Jesus is coming. And we've, that's why, listen, that's why the mission of this church is so important. Faith Assembly exists to help people encounter Jesus. That's why we're here. Why? Because the Lord is coming. Maranatha. The reason why we do food distributions and we do grocery drives and we do uh, outreaches and we, we, we help people when they're, when they're suffering and they're, they need help and we have these services to bring in the lost, it's because Maranatha, the Lord, is coming. And so, man, I, I don't know what may need to change in your heart or in your life. Sometimes, maybe you've been a part of this church for years and years and years, and you've just grown complacent. And that fire that burns within you that, that says Jesus is returning to this earth, and, and maybe I've lost the urgency, and I've, I've just kind of grown apathetic in my evangelism. We got we to gotta regain that. Why? Because the Lord is coming. So maybe we can shift some things and make some things a higher priority and be sensitive to those that are in need. Why? Because Jesus is coming back, church. It's the truth. And so let's respond to that tonight. Would you close your eyes? I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.